Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 529. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, please go and visit evergreenpodcast.com. First, I'd like to give a shout out and thanks for putting up a five-star review of the show on Podchaser by Novinadriv. Thank you for that. So this week's interview is with Alicia Dunhams. Alicia is an international leadership speaker and peacemaker. She's a leading expert in facilitating difficult conversations and resolving conflicts in multiple settings, including the workplace, school, and home. With more than 20 years of experience working as an executive coach, with certifications as a mediator and diversity and inclusion specialist, she actively serves on the communication board of a restorative justice nonprofit. She's also the author of the brand new How to Talk to Your Enemies. In this conversation, we discuss her multicultural background, the line between having conviction and suppliance to listen, how to talk to your enemies, really, conscious living, and much more. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And if you have a wee moment, please go and drop in a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Alicia Dunhams, how lovely to have you on my show. You have been so gracious to have me on yours. And now you've written a, a phenomenal book. Really, it was very interesting read. I enjoyed uh, the whole thing. I mean, the, the idea of conversations, how to talk to your enemies, 101 ways to turn your hostility, to turn hostility into peace. You're also a leadership speaker and certified mediator. And I want to start it a little bit with your background, because you talk about this in the beginning of the book, about how your father went over to England and uh, in the air for the US Air Force and met your mum. So an English mum, an American father. Tell us about your background, because obviously this played a very big part of what you do today. Yes, people always ask me, why did you write the book? And I have that kind of short answer of, you know, I'm a leadership trainer. And, and I saw that people were scared to speak up because they're scared of being shut down. And, and I've especially seen that uh, in the last five years in the leadership and diversity, equity, inclusion work that I've been doing. But then they want a deeper cut because they're like, okay, that's the, <laughs> that's the, that's the short or easy answer. What, why, did, why did you really write this book? And that's when I get a little vulnerable and, and say, why did I write this book? And really, Mentor, I, I was the peacemaker in my family. I come from a family, a mom and dad with two very different backgrounds. As you mentioned, my dad is from New Orleans, Louisiana. He's black, uh, came from a very large family. Uh, he, even though it, it, they were poor, uh, but he said he never felt poor, but they were poor. I mean, he walked to school with newspapers in his shoes and he was one of 10 kids. My grandmother cleaned houses. And then my mom was, came from a well-to-do British family. Like she lived in the British countryside with lambs, went to the best schools went to the sister school of Eton where all the, uh, you know, the British uh, royalty go to school. <laughs> since, so, since I went to Eton, I happen to know that school, of course. Oh, you, okay, okay. So this was back in, you know, 
uh, probably the, the 60s, early 60s, my mom went to school. And so she was, she grew up in Newbury, so the uh, British countryside. She was actually born in Windsor. And, and so I come from two very different backgrounds. And what I found in my household is that I was the peacemaker between two different cultures, two different races, two different genders, two different experiences. And, and you know, then my mom and always, dad always say, well, everyone has marital issues. Yes, and uh, there was other complexities and nuances that I felt that I personally was navigating during that time from a very young age. And I feel very adept at being able to come in and also be like be a translator almost like a cross-cultural translator, being able to understand and listen to one person's experience and translate it to the other person. I'm really good at that. And that was not a skill set I went to college for, what have you. I am a you know trained mediator, but I just found that that's something I'm able to do. And as I started, you know, very much in leadership training. Now I, you know, I have a background. I've, I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years, uh, executive coach, business coach. I have a business that I actually help people write books. And but this is this is my book, and this is my experience doing leadership training, and especially at the murder of. George Floyd, um, you know, back in 2020, and and just this intensive, you know, money being poured in to do diversity, equity, inclusion training. I found that the way that it was going about, and I don't know if this is the way it was designed, but the way people were receiving this training is, I'm wrong, I'm bad. You know, there was a lot of like shame and blame. There was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff came up for people because. We obviously, especially in the United States, have a very complex history. And so what I just found is like people want to heal and we heal in circles. We heal in conversation. We heal when people feel seen, heard and understood. And, and so I just did things a little bit differently. And, and, uh, and that's how I choose to in the, you know, moving forward is let's all come to the table. Let's all talk and that we all have a part in, in healing. I didn't notice, but I, I don't remember seeing it. Do you have any siblings? Yes, I have a brother. And and how was his role in that? Because I'm surely he was in this in the middle as well. Well, he's uh, almost eight, well, seven years older than me. So by the time I was ten, he was already out the house. So it was me and my parents, right? You know, and so so I think I think he had the brunt of. Um, First round. <laughs> First round. And but really, my parents were so young when they had him. He was raised partially by my grandmother. So he had, but he did have the first round. But then as soon as he was able to leave, he left. And then, then I had, you know, them in, in, um, yeah, you know, marital issues are a real thing. And, you know, I, I, I want to be mindful and respectful of my, my parents, of course. Uh, of course. You, know, you, you give them a lovely, lovely heartfelt thought of, uh, you know, and thanks at the end. So and there's, you know, everybody has issues, my goodness. And, and the, this notion of racial, I mean, there's, 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 we, we have different minds, women and men, and then we have different backgrounds and then we have different cultures and we have different skin colors, a lot of differences to, to uncover, even if you have the same language, because that can also be another type of oops to figure out between couples. I'm married to a, a woman who's French Spanish. And so 
which language do we argue in? Which language do we love in? Which language, you know, which language do we bring up our children? All these things. So I'm, I'm familiar with, or at least I have a grip on that idea. And anyway, I've been married for 28 years and nothing's without a little bit of work. Absolutely. Well, yeah, the language thing is interesting because my dad uses the word ain't. And my mom would constantly say ain't isn't a word. <laughs> yes. yeah, so you know, in, with, with a little bit of a British. A British says a little looking down, down, ain't. Donald, ain't. Isn't darling, it? darling, we don't speak like that. <laughs> exactly. So it was uh, quite an interesting way to grow up. So I think that's like the deeper cut, the more vulnerable yeah. explanation of why I wrote this book. And what I, when we look around, Mentor, let's just look around in 2023 and seeing what is going on in the world. And people are afraid, they're fearful, they're lashing out, there's division, there's polarization. And of course, my, I don't want to harp on that. I, I'm all about vision-based leadership. Like, what are we looking to create? And we get to look at what is happening to get an assessment because that self-awareness and aware social awareness is a very much a big part of understanding where we are today and where we want to be. And we get to look around and, and things are, especially with social media and amplification of misinformation, disinformation, news, uh, fear, stoking fear, po politics. That's why I'm not worried about the marketing of my book, because this is going to conversation that we're going to be having for a very long time. Mm. I, of course, 100% agree. Um, just wanted to talk about the mediator, because um, that's a, for me, I never really have considered this, but how do you become a certified mediator? Do you need to be like a psychologist somehow? Mm. Well, I actually got certified through Restorative Justice, a nonprofit that I work with, uh, where we mediate youth out of the juvenile, uh, penile, you know, uh, or rather, uh, uh, juvenile justice system, rather. And and so uh, and so that's how I got uh, certified. Uh, so there's all different types of ways. Obviously, there's mediations in the, the legal route, and and I got certified and did all my hours through a nonprofit, uh, and and so I'm a certified mediator working with restorative justice. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so well, let's talk about the context we're living in. And, and uh, I picked up a few things which you spoke about, and, and it feels that we, we need to be nuanced in this, uh, even in this setting of the context. One of the things I picked up and you wrote, it says, people often feel overlooked and unappreciated. So they create problems simply for attention and validation. Somewhere else, you talk about the issue of loneliness, uh, which you mentioned at the end of the book. It, we, we got to a point where we have eco chambers. No one's listening to me. I feel alone. And, and do you feel that there is actually a movement afoot that's, that's snowballing about the desire and the need for this type of more thrusty, strong conversation between opposing factions. Do you feel that there's there's something of a, a movement towards bridging? Yeah, interesting to note when I share a little bit about AI, and I know that's your expertise, and what do they say, 80% of jobs will eventually be replaced by AI? Or changed anyway. Or changed in some way. 
And, and this, I had a conversation last night about you know, the potential of a universal income hmm. um, because there's so much money being made by the, you know, by the, the top 1% uh, and the Jeff Bezos in the world, for example, that there, and, and that maybe COVID, uh, and, and I'm just sharing this, this is all conjecture. So I'm, I'm sharing just conversations I've been having with people is uh, that COVID was kind of a, a test of that because I know in the United States, everyone got a monthly check and, and very minimal that it, it you know, covered people's basics. Mm. And, and so this whole kind of idea of a universal income and, and just to kind of appease the masses, if you will. I, I know we can get deep because you're, you're a deep thinker. So this, this concept of um, humanity, I mean, this is like the, the, our ability to connect, to touch, to, to have uh, uh, deep conversations, to be compassionate, empathetic. That's really what makes us humans. And that's what's going mm. to differentiate us from any, any robot or AI or technology that, that can take some of these, these jobs or replace us. And, and so what I think is what we see all around us is, I believe control, like politics, I, I, like I, I, I firmly believe that some of these issues, because the issue, and I, I, I very little, I don't touch on issues in the book. I, I, right. I, 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 I minimize it because it doesn't matter what the issue is. It's having the skill set to be able to bridge, you know, our, our conversations, be able to bridge and to connect and, and storytell and build relationships with and converse with and, and see someone's perspective and, and realize that, you know, one of the highest forms of intelligence that your perspective and someone else's perspective can reside at the same time mm. and no one's right. No one's wrong. It's just, this is, you know, what it is. Uh, and, and, and so, so with these skills, the issues can be manufactured, but sometimes it feels like issues are being manufactured these days or uh, stoking fear in us uh, as a way to kind of control or to distract. I, 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 it's a very peculiar and interesting time to be alive and just to observe what's going on in the world. And, and so I, I just call people to be hyper observant and also non-attached. Like, like, like inner peace is something I really establish in the book, especially with the first chapter, communicating with ourselves, that we get to have hold counsel uh, with ourselves before we even open our mouth. We get to have skills like breathing and meditation to be able to see, am I, am I absorbing what's around me? Am I, am I, am I getting stressed out because of someone's opinion or political belief? Or can I navigate this world with a sense of inner peace that everything on the outside really doesn't matter? And then I just get to observe and notice and if someone shares that they're passionate about a particular political campaign, and it's like, thank you so much for your passion. I'm, I'm all for people being passionate about political beliefs and, or it gives me a different lens on, uh, on the issue. Thank you for sharing your perspective. It gives me a different lens on the, the issue that we're talking about. And, and, and just leave it at that, leave it at that. And, and, and so being able to regulate ourselves, that's why I, go through the whole neuroscience at the beginning and the critter brain versus the prefrontal cortex is, is notice when news, politicians, 
social political discourse is igniting the, your critter brain. The part of your brain that's saying, am I safe? Is there enough? The part of the brain that gets stoked into fight, flight, freeze. Just notice if that's being ignited and how can you regulate that? I, just before we went on, I was, I spent a couple of minutes, not meditating, but thinking about my feelings before the conversation. And I think those little moments before you engage in a conversation, it's very interesting because it allows you to sort of see where you are. What's what are, what are the little triggers in your mind? Maybe you had a fight with somebody or these other things that can creep in, I would say like an unfriendly critter into your, your conversation or your disposition. One of the things you, you talk about is, is that it, this is what makes our humanity. And, and, and I, I'm trying to remember where you wrote, you said, it's, it's almost like this is your purpose, your purpose. Once you have that, the feeling that you have of knowing that you are here as a peacemaker, it, it felt like that's how you describe your purpose. But so many people, I feel, A, don't know who they are, and two, don't really have a deep-rooted purpose, much like you have with your parents. That connection into the child, Alicia, is vital, as far as I'm concerned, in reinforcing, energizing, giving you that power, desire, conviction to do what you're doing. But a lot of people get, you know, you say invent their passion or invent their our issue because they actually it's in lieu of knowing who I am and having something that's really purposeful. Mm. You know, Minter, it's, you know, I shared that I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years. I, our, our purpose or our sole assignment, why we're here on this earth, sometimes does, doesn't get revealed for a really long time. I mean, I still get to pay the mortgage and, and does peacemaking pay my mortgage? <laughs> uh, you know, somewhat, I mean, with the, the corporate trading that, that I do. And, and, and so, you know, yeah, we can we can find purposes in other things. Some people might feel their purpose is you know to I mean making money and providing for our family that that's a huge purpose for us, and and so you know kind of going in the realm of you know your question of what is our purpose and and some people are in survival, and it can be a luxury to be able to sit back and say okay how am I serving the world. That, that could be a, a beautiful luxury to have. Like I'm, I'm in the place that I'm so leaning into my spiritual gifts, if you will, uh, that I'm, I'm visualizing the life that I, that I want. And, and I know that there's, you know, after I talk about the book and, 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 you know, connect with people and had a really beautiful speaking event, I just talked to in Toronto and this gentleman came out to me and was moved visibly by the exercises that I, I, I ran through the, uh, you know, this, the, the uh, event is, um, yeah, you know, there's that. And then there's, you know, I have four calls to <laughs> get on and, you know, to drum up business. And, bills and to pay and things to, to do. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting way of, it's an interesting way of being. And once you've cultivated inner peace, to me, that's the biggest self-care flex out there is to be able to navigate the world and, let and things not shake you to your core. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that 
I'm not shaken to my core sometimes, but just noticing, oh, I'm being shook to my core right now. And then being able to regulate rate that through breath work or what have you, uh, meditation. And, and, and I, inner peace is something that I really invite and hope for everyone to be able to, to, to tap into that because the world's going to be challenging us the, the next days, months, and years to come. And, and we're already seeing that. And so how can we look at social media and regulate our emotions? How can we look at social media news and not even knowing if it's true what we're seeing? Because now things can be manipulated so easily. And, and so we, we get to ensure that our, our core is, that we cultivate that, that inner peace and, uh, and equanimity to be able to, to navigate these times it's interesting because there's so, you know, it's like you, you go on social media and, you know, people, you see, it seems like suicide is up. And, and I'm sure the numbers probably correlate with this in, in some way that mental health, definitely they've done studies on mental health, loneliness, loneliness you mentioned. So all of these things are sky high, mental health, loneliness, uh, you know, probably people, um, um, you know, taking their life uh, and, and stuff. And so, uh, or dying by suicide rather. So I, I, um, so there's definitely something going on and, and for us to, to, to navigate requires us to lean in. And that's why I, I plead, you know, kind of the call to action at the end is talk to your enemies that our next level of evolution and spiritual growth is by digging in and having these conversations. This is a, to me, that's our, our next level. Cause it's easy to hang around people like us and, have conversations with people who believe the same thing. I encourage people to go and have opposite conversations with people who challenge you, who challenge your belief, who, who trigger you, who make you upset and being able to uh, practice your spiritual, your spiritual way of being with them. Because it's always easy to meditate in the Himalayas when you're in a cave, that's very easy. But can you meditate and have inner peace on the 405 during rush hour traffic? 405 is Los Angeles. So, you know, can you can you can you have that? So it's where the rubber meets the road. So when people are enjoying life and have inner peace, yes, that's great. And go talk to your enemies. Hundred um, percent. I, I actually, when you said it's easy to talk to people in the eco chamber, I frankly, Alicia, I've got to a point where I'm bored bored of saying the same old things i mean uh, i and 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 plus I, I i i shake my head at some of these people and how they get so wrapped up in in these thoughts and and it just becomes a, a recurring record and I, I think of the pain and the the wiring in the brain i did find the piece that uh the, the quote that i wanted to say which re which constitutes how you um you frame this perhaps you're not excited about talking to your enemy yet but when you reframe it as part of what you are here to do on this great planet, it becomes an opportunity for growth, interacting with others, even those we may consider our enemies this is the heart of what it means to be human. I really like that phrase, this idea of growth, because if you look at it this way, like curiosity, and I'm going to learn from other people, and, and actually, maybe I can change my own mind. Mm-hmm. The power of doubt, uh, Rene Descartes discussed, that's like the, the basic of scientific method is the power of doubt. 
when we assume we know everything, you know, we've already lost. It, it's, it's, it's doubting everything until we can prove it right. And can we really even prove it right? There's so many different perceptive perceptions of the world and truths. And, you know, I know people say there's fact out there and, you know, fact can even be looked at <laughs> different, different ways. Like when did people take the survey or is it the morning and the, you know, did they have a, a breakfast, you know, were they well-fed or were they tired? So there's just so many different variables of reality. And, and so, yeah, when we reframe that, that we are here for these challenging conversations, we are here for these disputes, we are here for these difficult conversations, it, it, it's a change and it's a reframe from being a, a emotionally laborious to being emotionally invigorating. Uh, one thing I do in the book, and, and I, I, I really read and studied Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, and I, and I put ex excerpts in the book. Uh, and one thing that he said in his speech, which is so true, is that our destinies are inextricably bound. We are bound together. Your future is bound to my future. And so there's no division and like, oh, I'm, you know, I live in a beautiful house on the hills and I have beautiful organic food every day. If the person down the street is hungry, your life is going to be impacted. And, and so we get to really examine and look at that is, is if someone doesn't have basic uh, you know, Maslow's pyramid, they don't have their basic uh, uh, physiological needs. needs met from a safety perspective, from a um, food perspective, from belonging, all of this, these different perspectives, your life is going to be impacted. So when people talk about, and I don't, I talk about political discourse and I talk about political polarization and differences in the book. I don't talk specifically, I don't give names. I don't, I, I actually like to keep the mystery around it. Like if someone asks me, what is my political party? I, I tell them I vote my values. All right. You did a good job on that. <laughs> you know, and, and then, and then it's like, you know, and then it's like, oh yes, you get to be in relationship with me. We get to, we get, do you want to know what some of my values are? And then we get to have a conversation. So it's not labeling. Uh, like I have a concept, be a verb, not a noun. So when people say I'm a this, like, what is that? Like, I don't even, what does that mean? So what, can you tell me the verbs? Like, what do you stand for? Huh? What's your way of being when you say that? And, and so there's such a, there's so many labels that people hide behind. And then there's a lot of identity stuff going on, you know, identity politics. And, and, and we get to look at these things. We get to look at why people feel safe in their particular identities and labels, because there, there is a safety in it and and I um I studied uh, uh, I didn't mention it in the book but I study uh, spiral dynamics have you ever heard of spiral dynamics no I haven't what's that oh it's really interesting and and the the best explanation there's a there's a book and it's a it's a field of study uh, to American psychologists uh, come up came up with it in in uh, I think the University of Texas and but uh, Rob Bell who is actually a former pastor, megachurch pastor. Uh, now he has a documentary called The Heretic. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I see him as, you know, just a spiritual leader. He has a really great podcast. I think it's in three sections called Me, We, and Everybody. And it, and it discusses spiral dynamics. 
And, and so spiral dynamics, you know, just a general overview is, is that when a percentage of the population goes to the next level, it, you know, there's, a, there's, there's all this cognitive dissonance and people fighting, you know, because we kind of bring everyone with, but like the, like the top 20%, well, not the top, I don't want to say top, but like 20% goes to the next level. And then the 80% are kind of in the, in the previous one. And then there's a lot of kicking and screaming and turbulence kind of to get to the next level. And, and that's the turbulence we're feeling right now. So even if we look at things that are kind of social issues, like whether it's pronouns or transgender, like things that really are very much uh, saturating the news of the day, there's, there's people who are like, no, I do, I like their feet are in the ground. I do not want to accept or move forward or evolve in that way and and cognitive dissonance is that that mental stress that comes when you know your way of life your belief system and all of that is is uh, challenged in some way by other people's beliefs or or maybe your beliefs have been misproved so or or challenged so it's uh, there's a lot of people who are scared and so we get to look at that. And so empathy is a two-way street. Empathy is everyone gets to sit at the table, even if you don't believe who is sitting next to you. Everyone gets, it's a two-way street. And, and, um, and so that can be very uncomfortable for people. And we get to sit in that discomfort. And, and, and that's, the, that's the fire. That's the fire at our feet that supports us in our next level of growth. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. This next level, so you you mentioned uh, Michelle Obama's going high, uh, and you I think you equate that to conscious living, right? This idea of going next level. The way I uh, heard it expressed by someone else was this: uh, is you're having conversation with another person. You are one. The other person is one. Let us be one plus one equals three. And what is the higher plane of our conversation? Mm-hmm. And and it brings up for me a, a very nitty nitty point for me which is something i feel and i'm wondering if you feel which is how do you balance the idea of conviction with the flexibility to redress correct change your mind uh, by just listening and, and maybe doubt because at some level if you if you no longer have any convictions everything is open field everything is possible to change it might feel like you you're nobody because you are flexible enough to understand everything mm. well um you're getting into kind of the way that i i really am committed to living life that i i am <laughs> yeah i had a life coach tell me they, he said alicia you are a rudderless sailboat, you go where the wind blows, which is interesting because I've lived my life that way. I, if, if someone says something interesting, I will follow them for a little bit and see where it takes me. Yeah. Now, adventurous. 
and so I am adventurous and, and, and that's not, and that's my personality type. And that's, that's who, that's who I be. Like I've literally, and I, I had this conversation with Rob Bell, who's the, the, the mega church pastor that uh, I, in, now in has a documentary called the heretic uh, in which he stars in and, or is about his life. And I, um, I, I've, I've done the, I've done the, the spiritual couch tour. Like I, I'm, I want the, the, the greatest hits from all religions. So I, I, at all, at, at one time in my life, I've probably been every religion from Catholic to Pentecostal, visited the church of Scientology, <laughs> you know, Buddhism. Like I'm, I, it's like, tell me the greatest hits. Like I'm, I'm curious about wisdom traditions and, and there is a spiritual through line in my book. I, I do, I am mindful because I know that I do corporate training and, and, and so spirituality and mindfulness is kind of interchangeable for me to be able to meet people where they are, which is a skill set that we get to have uh, when talking to our enemies is meet people where they are. And, and so when you talk about convention, uh, conviction and people are convicted with their you know, religious upbringing or their values or what they believe or particular laws that they don't believe and they're like, absolutely no go, I don't believe in this or I am pro this and you know whatever their beliefs are is I, I swim in the gray of life like i that there's no these these absolutes it's like like what if like because and that's where storytelling comes in uh, to me storytelling is the anecdote of hate that's the anecdote of uh, despair of disconnection it's the anecdote of uh, you know, hate as we said and fear and so when we storytelling it just we swim in the gray of storytelling because storytelling there's no <laughs> there's no like it's it's like what's your interpretation of what happened and 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 then to to hear it through the storyteller and and their uh, belief so I have a exercise called what it's like to be me what it's like to be you and I do that exercise where someone just is an empathetic listener and someone tells them like, this is my life. These are my vulnerabilities. This is what it's like to be me. And then you get to repeat back what you heard them say. This is what Active it's like. Listening. To be yeah. To, so this listening. And, and so what happens is this, this kind of is this connection that happens. And so storytelling is very, very gray uh, in terms of life. So convictions, I, I can be enrolled yeah. personally. Now, some people might not feel good with me saying that, or they wouldn't want that type of life. Um, uh, I can, I'm, I am, I, I'm not a controller person, my personality, I'm not a controller. Like I could definitely be, if someone says, well, this is the, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stick my big toe in it and see, like, experience it, take it on for say, have a little experience and then I'll be, and then I, and then I, have it washed through my sieve, I think that's called, of values. And if it's, if it's, you know, cause I know my values, like the back of my hand, freedom is a value, wellness, non-judgmental, open, inclusive, you know, so some of my values. So if something I do doesn't feel freeing, then I will be like, well, thank you for that experience. And I choose not to. So that's, so I'm not afraid of experiences and I'm adventurous. So that's the long answer well, there. <laughs> no, but I love it, Alicia. It's interesting. I, I, I a quote that I, I regularly trot out 
uh, that is maybe an adaptation from other people's, but it, it is that uh, adventure without risk is not adventure. And a life without adventure is not life. So I'm, I, that's how I, like you, I, I think I'm, I'm more in the middle ground. And, and the idea is like when you're a lawyer defending somebody, you, you need to be able to hear whatever the, the, the issue is and, and put aside your own judgments and, and, and do the business. And, but there are a couple of things. One other thing that, another thing that really struck me, two moments of the book, you talk about, or you mentioned Albert Einstein's reflections that common sense is the collection of prejudices acquired by age 18. And, and I have been feeling that we have lost our commonality in society, the idea of our ability to commune. And, and uh, later on in the book, you mention philosopher George Santayana, who said, those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Uh, with that said, I believe excessive focus on the past or differences in historical wrongs can distract us from a forward-thinking path. One of the things that I feel is that, like church in many countries, religion is on the down. The opportunity to commune with different people and have a similar or maybe a common understanding of who we are as a, as a people, that, that sort of third level that we were talking about before, you know, let's say a, a national level or a city level or something bigger than just you, me, and the end of the street. This idea of common sense, common understanding of history, common understanding of facts feels like that has broken down in society. And I was wondering how you'd reflect on that. Yeah. Well, my interpretation of Albert Einstein saying common sense is the collection of prejudices acquired by age 18 is that as children, as we're growing up, because at 18, you're still pretty much a child, you're just getting started in life, is that we're experiencing the world through other people's experiences. So when our, and I, I give an example, like if your grandfather is complaining about a certain group of people and saying they did this to me and they did that to me and they they they, they took my job or my you know whatever uh you know or the neighborhood has been a certain way since these people moved in whatever the 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 the, the dialogue is or the conversation is you start appropriating that without having those experiences for yourself so you are seeing life through the lens of those around you, the people, your church, you know, your, your community. So when they just say, oh, it's common sense, it's just, you know, that's just how things are. But then you haven't had that experience, but you go into life saying this is the way it is because someone I know or what I heard had those particular experiences. So prejudices are, you know, it's, it's if, as you saw my, my, um, uh, in the book, I have the slippery slope versus the conscious climb, which is my framework in which I teach unconscious bias. And so our brain is naturally wired to kind of socially categorize people. So we put people into little buckets based on visible things we see uh, and, and experiences that we've had or things that we've heard in terms of narrative. And then we put people into buckets and then we start having beliefs about particular people groups. And then we start having, you know, explicit beliefs and saying things and then and then there's the you know the potential of discriminating and 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 prejudice and 
and, and, and all of that as we slide down the slippery slope uh, and kind of just seeing just one person, we have a whole picture in our mind about that person without them even opening their mouth. And, and so just as we're, our brain is wired for that, our brain is also wired for conscious choice and to regulate. And so we get to get really curious, like, hmm, what made me believe that? Mm-hmm. What story am I, have I been telling myself? What belief system, what narrative in which I grew up with told me to think this particular way about this particular group of people? Like, for example, if you cross the street because you see a particular person coming down the street, what told you to cross the street? So you get to get real curious about that and lean in. And, and, and so, so I encourage people to, when you have these, these thoughts, is get curious on why. Don't shame yourself. Don't you know, blame yourself. Just get really curious and talk about it. And so that's why I believe in the healing power of like circles and having conversations, because if you just say, this is how I feel, this is why I cross the street when this particular person walks down the street and it could be anyone fill in the blank. It's going to be based on your experience for some people. It could be, you know, a a particular gender for some people. It could be someone of a certain height, you know, just whatever it is and, and just get curious about that. So we get to be brave and courageous. I was um, having a conversation with someone at this conference I spoke at, and and she said, yes, well, people can only speak up if if the company culture has created the psychological safety for speaking up. And I said, yes, and, you know, that's definitely what companies are looking to do, ensure that everyone feels seen, heard, and understood, and there's there's a place to make mistakes and to share ideas and come to the come to the whiteboard with new ideas, et cetera, and not to be feel embarrassed or shamed about what you share. And we live in a world where you get to be courageous and it might not be safe to speak up. Like I, for example, I have a chapter on hate speech. So what are you going to be, what are you going to do in a, a time where there's hate speech happening? And, and, and there, there is no psychological safety. There's no safe, there might not even be physical safety. So, you know, what, what are you going to choose to do in that moment? Obviously, we want everyone to remain safe. So you gotta you gotta check in with yourself to remain safe. And you will sometimes need to advocate for yourself and others with not feeling safe. And and so, and some people are not gonna feel safe talking to their enemies, talking to their next door neighbor, talking to you know the coworker that there's just kind of weird energy. You might not feel safe. And I invite people to lean in. Well, there's no doubt that one of the things you write about is setting boundaries and the need to set boundaries and something that I discovered through the research in the same order, looking at conversations is boundaries is actually not about telling you what you can't do or putting boundaries around the other person. It's about setting your own boundaries. And, and if you can be clear about that with yourself, then it makes, then you, then you know, when you, need to change things as opposed to telling the other person when to change things. Is that a mm-hmm. fair description? Yeah, I would say that's definitely a, a, a description. Boundaries are, are creating, boundaries are creating a, you know, uh, container, if you will, of how expansive can we go in, in this, in this relationship? So it's, it's, it's interesting because some people say boundaries are like a wall or cutting people off. It's like, okay, this is where we're going to be able to 
to play. And once we get out of here, this is no longer area to play. So it's, it's um, I, you could see it as a lot of different things, uh, but, and I would say people need to create boundaries for safety reasons or for mental health reasons. And I give the example of, you know, my mom uh, you know, having a conversation, it's like, you know, I don't feel comfortable talking about that. So this is going to be the last time we talk about this. And just having that pretty much, but saying it in a kind way, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where the tone comes in and, and all of that. But it's, you know, it's, um, it's one of the things that we get to do boundaries. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I've explored and, and maybe the interesting or the challenging piece is when you're speaking within your own eco chamber, you know, everybody, you've got your topics, you, you, everyone has the same sort of general feelings, but the interesting thing is, and it's adventurous is to go and have that conversation with someone else in another space. So for example, uh, you take somebody who's from a completely different culture and, and your points of reference are different. The way you experience words will be different or maybe language and other things. And I think of those as frontiers beyond the boundaries, if you will, because the boundaries, it feels for me is safe, but safe, I feel is, is not going to get us over the, the line. Cause we, we have to find ways to, to allow for friction because mm -hmm. if it's all safe and politically correct, a, that's that's an agenda or there's a there's a perspective almost in who's saying what's correct and and somehow i feel like we need to get a little bit dirtier in our ability to move into and talk to our enemies yeah no third idea is going to be birthed if there's that no if there's no friction so when the thing is when one person comes in with their belief system and and another person comes in and and through that friction, a third idea is co-created. And, and, and then that's, that's where there's a, you know, Nelson Mandela talks about it is your enemy becomes your partner. And so through this partnering, a third idea can come about or more. And so the dirtiness that you talked about is like going places. It's, it's so interesting. It is such a fine line to toe because it's meeting people where they are. Uh, it is, uh, it's being, uh, being listening and receptive of what they say. And then it's also being enrolled, you know, it's also challenging them in a way that is more of like, oh, I never thought of it that way versus, you know, you're wrong and I'm right type of thing. So it's, it, it requires to evoke curiosity. It requires to evoke like a, a playfulness it it's it's it could be it could be probing but not not um you know aggressive in in any way it could just be and and so a lot of times some of the things i say are very playful like i have one uh, like if someone's talking about their political beliefs and you could say something like i'm finding your political beliefs challenging and i find value in that you know and so it's being <laughs> it's being playful and they'll be like you know because sometimes people and I, I talk about this with a concept called verbal Aikido and, and, you know, with verbal Aikido, Aikido being the, uh, the, the Japanese kind of martial arts in which you don't resist, but instead you let the momentum of the someone's, someone's hit 
uh, you know, you let the momentum fall over because there's no resistance because resistance, you know, it escalates up. But if you're, if you kind of just let them fall over by just being like in the observation, it's a softening that's, that is required of, of you. And then when you soften, like when you see two animals in nature, when you obviously two animals in nature, when one softens, uh, uh, they're, they're going to be probably pummeled, you know, when it comes to like a lion and a, and a, and a deer. And when it comes to two human beings, when you soften, the other person softens as well. There's a de-escalation that happens. The escalation happens when there's resistance. Right. And- but you, you, one of you has to be gracious enough to soften, to yes, show that I, vulnerability. And I choose to be that person. Mm-hmm. Well, I let us that person, yeah. I let let us seek out more such people. And Alicia, uh, I love love reading your book. Love chatting with you about this. Obviously, you have a deep passion and knowledge of it. Uh, give us an idea how people can get your book and and follow you, hire you for your work, as you say, uh, and get get a better understanding of what you're about. Absolutely, you can go to to get your free chapter of the book. You can go to talktoyourenemies.com to get a free chapter. And find out more about me, aliciadunhams.com and at aliciadunhams on all social media. And I am running a campaign uh, at gofundme.com forward slash talk to your enemies, where I'm sending a copy of this book, How to Talk to Your Enemies, to every member of Congress. So you can contribute uh, to that. So that's what I have uh, going on. Yeah. And you can buy it, obviously, on Amazon and your online retailer. Naturally. Alicia. Many thanks. I hope to get a chance to to break some bread, share some wine, and chat with you in real one day too. Absolutely, Minter. Thank you so much for your time and, and uh, for this interview. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Dialogue. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on MinterDial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. Convinced man, competitions innate, a convinced
Of news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.